0: what's up guys welcome back to sorry to interrupt uh a little hiatus but you know what that is for time. we're ready to go tom what's up brother how you been
1: what's going on man episode 160 i believe right
0: i think so man i mean we're closing in on that 200 mark it's a big deal
1: yeah absolutely um i'm doing all right burning the candle a little bit at both ends right now with work and school but you know what can you do how about you my friend everything's
0: good man i mean hey at least you're putting your time to good use so that's a good thing
1: yep i know a lot of people that haven't all of this covid they're not going to know what to do with themselves after uh the world goes back to whatever normal it is
0: shit man can you imagine trying to like get back into like whatever routine was if you've just been like laying low the last couple months like it's going to be a going to be a rough wake-up call so it's good that you've been able to to keep it going
1: Yeah, man, I I try not to stop. I mean, I I had a little bit of a a hiatus there, more force than anything else, but I broke out (laughs) of that real quick.
0: There you go. I think we all had one of those like spurts. I mean, remember, like we were cranking out pods like in the beginning of this thing. We were doing our list. We had Will on for a few. I mean, we were really going hard, and then it was just all the
1: time (laughs) in the world back then
0: i uh, know let's not uh let's not use up all our ideas but no i'm doing well uh back up on the cape for a c- couple days so trying nice. to enjoy myself so all is well um and dude a lot's change in the two weeks the first thing that we need to do as we promise ourselves everybody go vote right That's yes, me, yes. Tom. thank you for remembering
1: yes yes thank you for everybody go, Harry, go, go vote, vote. November. good call buddy because i vote. forgot about that one already which is sad and, and i need this reminder as well <laughs>
0: <laughs> I got you covered man this is why we're this is why we're good this is 160 episodes in the making but yes, yeah um, it's been a really rough couple weeks obviously uh, the the tyrant in the office is hitting even more unprecedented levels it's really astonishing um, I gotta say I came up to the Cape and the area where my parents live um, I saw two extreme versions of uh, some protesting and gathering you had a giant trump support gathering of course none of them in masks all screaming yelling Mm -hmm. and then over uh closer to the neighborhood giant black lives matter uh and juneteenth um protest like not not protest more awareness uh demonstration i should use that's the word and that was really cool to see too so i mean obviously you're getting at both ends but very cool to see obviously the more progressive side and they all were wearing masks and looked you know well put together as you'd expect classic (laughs) so that was so that was an interesting uh interesting experience but yeah everybody go vote in november make your voice heard continue to educate this is not over this is not going anywhere and uh We're not going to let it slip by the wayside.
1: Yeah, for sure. We need to remember that every time we we step up to a mic. Um, Let's jump right into it. As far as we know, I mean, cases, I think everything needs to be spoken about with an asterisk because cases are going up um, everywhere in the country, seemingly, except for near us. And I think they're about to spike back up here as well. You're starting to see the remnants of that. But with that being said, baseball as of now is back.
0: Baseball's back, baby. Uh, It was clunky, it was horrible, Uh, it wasn't even really an agreement, but after the last proposal sent in by the uh, commissioner's office that was rejected by the players, Rob Manfred mandated his 60-game season, summer camp, spring training, whatever the hell you want to call it, will start on Wednesday, Mm -hmm. and opening day, July 23rd. How do you feel about the whole process and the fact that we're actually going to have sports to talk about?
1: I'm just happy that they came to an agreement at this point. Um, Don't really know what this holds for the future of baseball, given the CBA and whatnot. I I don't think they came to a long-term agreement on that. Uh, That's neither here nor there now, but you always have to look at the future of the game. I think the future of baseball is and has been in trouble for a while. Um, When in terms of growing the game and keeping the game, at least keeping the game afloat where it's at, but from a personal standpoint, I am just happy to have baseball again.
0: Couldn't agree more with you, man. I mean, listen, we've been talking about this for the last few months. I mean, it it was not going to be a pretty picture. And honestly, the whole reason that a real agreement didn't happen, although they finally did come together on the safety protocols and how they were going to outline the season, which we'll get into in a second, um, at least for the most part, like they the players and the owners decided, you know what? We're not going to try to figure this out right now. Let's just play. Just just get back on the field. We've already wasted precious time and we just need to get it done for this half a season or 60 games rather. And then we'll worry about the rest later because they're under agreement in the CBA for next year too. So it's really the 2022 season. That's going to be possibly in jeopardy, but shit, man, with everything going on, I'm just happy. They got it done. What do you think about some of the new rules and the way that they're going to operate the all-division play and geographic play with interleague, the runner on second in the 10th inning to, for extra innings and stuff like that? What, what were your takeaways there?
1: I think it's a nice little experiment with the runner on second. It's kind of like the NFL rule, or sorry, college football rules where you start at the 35-yard line or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, But I I don't think that'll stay. I just think that's for now. I do like the universal DH. I think that may stick. Um, I have my Bartolo Colon home run, and and that's all I needed to see. Now I never have to see (laughs) another pitcher hit again. Um, If that never happened, I would be wanting him to still be playing. I know he's still trying to get out there, and I'd still want pitchers hitting. But that's already happened. We already have that gem of a home run forever on YouTube. So I'm happy with the DH as well
0: iconic moment in baseball history, in sports history, in world history. I'll put it that far.
1: Great call by, um, what was his name, Gary something.
0: Oh, Gary Cohen on SNY? Yeah. Great call. It It sounded as
1: if they won the World
0: Series. (laughs) I I think in some cases it it was more unbelievable than them winning the World Series. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm interested to see if any of these things stick around going forward. I am so happy there's a universal DH. I really DH. think um, I
1: think it's going to be the universal DH because that's already been spoken about a lot.
0: Yeah, it has. I mean, this has been a point of contention. I don't understand what the problem is. Like, this, it's about growth, right? Like, we're trying to grow the game. I don't need to see. You don't need to see. For every great Bartolo Cologne home run, you get these guys. They're called great hitters if they're hitting a buck thirty. Yep. Like, no. And you want to create more jobs in the game? Get guys that actually can hit and come up and, and have that roster spot occupied. Uh, what do you think about the runner on second to start the 10th inning? I know they're doing it to speed up games because they're playing, I think, 60 games in, like, 64 days or something. But do you think that's something that could stick, and are you kind of enthusiastic about it, or are you kind of so-so on it? I'm
1: indifferent about it. I don't think it's something that's going to stick, in my opinion. That's not true to the game, and, and that goes – Kind of outside the parameters of the game, I understand why they're doing it and I support it in this situation just because, you know, you you get into those 15 to to 20 inning games and the next thing you know, you have a game in less than 12 hours. So these guys need to rest and all that good stuff. So I understand, but over a 162-game season, they pretty much have the rest and whatnot figured out. Um, But I I like it for the 60-game season, but I, I don't think it'll stick and I'd prefer it didn't.
0: You know, I'm actually going to go against you on that one. I actually, the more I've thought about it, I like it. The only point of contention I'll have is if they can start it in the 11, get a chance to play one clean extra inning, and see if a team can win the, the traditional way. Yeah. But the reason I'm going to kind of clap. The reason I'm going to kind of clap back at it is. You know, baseball is the only sport, obviously, that doesn't have time limits, right? So it's not like a nine-inning game is going to be played in three hours. I mean, it could be played in four. It could be played in 250. Almost that never happens, though. But these extra innings, I mean, they're killing some of these guys' arms. And they're also really hurting players with service time. Because if you think about the guys that are on the taxi squads, right, that come up and they have to pitch for two or three innings or four innings in an extra inning game, and then they get sent down, and then they can't come back up for seven or ten days. And then when arbitration comes around or whatever, it's like, well, you didn't have enough service time. Well it's like, because well, I was the basically the 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 mule in the bullpen to just take all these extra bullets. I don't, I can't stand sometimes, dude. The Tuesday night game or the Wednesday night game that's going on till that's a seven p.m. Eastern start that goes on till like one in the morning because you're playing all these extra innings. And with 162 games in 180 days, I mean, hockey implemented the shootout. And I think that that worked really well. I don't think you have to do this in the postseason, but going forward, I actually kind of like it. You're saving guys arms, you're saving roster spots, and there's no guarantee these guys score anyway. We've complained plenty of times on this pod about the Yankees inability to hit with runners in scoring positions. So that's my, that's my point with it.
1: Yeah, I do agree with you on that. I just think there's a better way to do it. Um, I just don't like how a runner gets on second without earning it, I guess. Um, But, I mean, any way to give a team, to speed up a game, you're going to have to give um, each team an advantage, I guess you would call it, even though they both have an opportunity to do that, I guess. Um, Yeah, I guess this is the best way to do it. You could start somebody off with a 2-0 count, kind of the same thing. Then you're putting more pressure on the pitcher, so that kind of sucks. I, I don't know. There's no easy way to do it, but so I guess this is the best option.
0: Yeah, I think it's just a good way to grow the game because you know you know that at least we're going to give a team an opportunity to win this game. Both teams are going to have that opportunity, obviously, in the top and bottom of the innings. And, you're, you know, these are professional pitchers to be able to get guys out and your professional hitters you should be able to get the runner in just sometimes they're 17 inning games i mean they cripple a pitching staff they cripple a roster especially in the early months or later months of the season when the weather's not all that good you know these guys are going out they're getting hurt i, I don't know i just think it's messy sometimes to have games go that long when you're playing that many
1: yeah it could screw you up for a whole month
0: that's kind of my thought, right? So I think if you're a proponent of the universal DH, I think you've got to kind of be a proponent of this, speaking from the sense of creating more jobs in the, in the game, more roster spots, preserving your players, making sure you're taking out potential non-necessary risk factors with injuries. That's kind of my thought with that, comparing the two.
1: Now who gets to go to second, the last out of the inning previous? Yes. Oh, okay. But you could sub them out. Like, let's say the last out of the inning previous was Luke Voigt. I don't know. I'm trying to think of the slowest guy on the Yankees or Gary Sanchez. Can you sub him out for Tyler Wade?
0: Uh, you could, but they would Tyler Wade would have to go play that position then.
1: Yeah, so I guess. Or, I mean, unless you have uh, – yeah, there's, there's some strategy involved too, which is interesting.
0: Right. Yeah, so if you have a situation like that, like Sanchez – Unless you, you know, you really think you have a chance to score and then you bring in, you know, your backup catcher, Higashioka, or whatever your backup catcher is to to take over, but then you lose, you know, your starting catcher. Mm-hmm. So. Strategy for sure. And and let's remember this. It's not a sure thing that the runner scores.
1: Of course, yeah. Then they might as well just give the team the win. I, I, I'm starting to weather on it a little bit uh, that i'm more for a traditional style i'm all for the time limit on the pitchers which is to say the least lightly enforced um and i'm all for the universal dh that one not as much but i guess i'll have to see how it goes
0: i think that's what it is for all these things right like the only reason we kind of push back on some of them is because we just have never had them before
1: yeah i mean for robotic umpires because these guys screw up uh, a lot yeah. of calls
0: <laughs> you know, man, you and I have been screaming about that for a while. But, yeah, I, I think it's, baseball is about growth, right? If we're learning anything about this sport, it's that it continues to just be behind the times with everything else, especially with how they handled this shit. So if you can grow the game without killing it, I don't think for when you with, because of the volume of games that they play in such a condensed amount of time, I don't think it would really hurt the game at all I mean, even for as diehard fans as, as we are, think about some of those games where it's like, oh, I just want to go to bed and it's the 12th inning and another pitching change and you can ju- you just know that, like, there's no time limit. That's the only part. So you've got to find a way to speed up some of these games and make them as close to three hours or three and a half hours as you can get. Not rush them, but just keep them manageable.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right, so looking ahead to the season, who, who, who do you think this favors?
0: I think it favors every team with a really good pitching staff, both starting staff and bullpen, the, and, and teams that have the most depth on the fringe of the major league roster and in AAA, because every team's going to have, I think, a 30-man taxi squad. So I think that those are going to be the teams that uh, that have the best shot. So obviously, you know, Yankees, Dodgers, Rays, Astros, those those teams come to my mind. I think, honestly, the Mets as well. How about you?
1: Yeah, my my one team that really stuck out to me when I heard the stipulations and all the details about this that it was going to help was the Mets because you're losing Syndergaard, but you're getting a shortened season. You're going to be able to shorten up that rotation. And that bullpen was a lot of trouble, but you may be able to go to your, I guess, bullpen aces a lot more. And not to mention on the other side of the ball, the Mets have a lot of good defenders in the field, but they also have – these guys that can really hit but not defend, and I think that DH is really going to help them out. I'm looking at a guy like Cespedes who he can field when he wants to, but he doesn't ever seem to want to. He's got a cannon for an arm but doesn't ever want to play the field. He's going to be a great DH for them.
0: That's a really good point. Yeah, because they they have kind of been that team that we've talked about, right? Like in in the past where they're not really cut out for a 162 game marathon but they're if they get into the playoffs they could run the table as as well as anybody they're going to kind of have have that opportunity now in a 60 game sprint
1: all those those teams that you named like that you thought gave them an advantage i agree with you it does give them a slight advantage but those teams were poised to make the playoffs already being tampa bay houston if their guys all are all aren't on the dl from getting hit in the shoulder or something the yankees (laughs) and the dodgers um and you look at like the cardinals who i think are going to be pretty good this year and whatnot but the team that i think gets the most advantage where it goes from being a mediocre team to being a team that could possibly win a division or sneak into a wild card especially with an extended playoff roster is the mets
0: yeah, I think so, too, for all those reasons that you just explained. Two other teams I kind of want to point out and get your thoughts on. The Blue Jays and the Reds. So the Blue Jays can mash. Mm-hmm. And remember, they did get Jin Ryu and to kind of fortify that rotation. They have some good young arms. And we've seen teams like that have really thing,
1: good starts. Yeah, go ahead. The other thing that's interesting is the way these divisions are set up. Like Ryu, like... I think if he was pitching in the normal AL East, I'd honestly be licking my chops because this is a guy, you see it all the time, comes over from a big ballpark in L.A., pitching in the NL West, pitches really well, then comes over to the AL East and he's, you know, pitching to a high four ERA. Whereas now the divisions are different, so I definitely think that gives a team like the the, uh, Toronto Blue Jays an advantage as well.
0: Yeah, I mean they're going to have the beneficiary of playing the team a team like the Marlins yeah. and but that but that NL East is kind of a tough schedule though. I mean the Phillies are a really good team. I think we expect them to re, to rebound. You've still got the Mets, who we both expect them to, to have a really good run in the 60-game sprint, And then you've got the, uh, you got the Nationals, who are the defending World Series champs, and the Braves, who went to the uh, first round of the playoffs last year.
1: I'm there with you, but it's just there's nothing like pitching in the AL East, where every day you're playing in a small ballpark, and, and you're giving up. You know, He's not a homer guy, but maybe he, ha- he uh, you could just see one of those bad years coming from him, where his ERA's through the roof, following a Cy Young year in the NL.
0: Yeah, true. I mean, the 40 the 40 games against the AL East will will have to see how he how he performs there, but the main reason I kind of thought about them was because they've got this great young team. Yeah. And we've seen with great young teams is they can really like go on stretches of playing great baseball, but generally the the marathon of 162 games kind of wears these guys down as they get used to playing, you know, the full season. But yeah. since they're only playing sixty, they can just freaking go.
1: Yeah, I like I can see that being a real that. problem. I think I think that they're gonna get that they're gonna come out of the gates firing. With you know, you have Guerrero, Bichette, Biggio, and then you have Guriel down there too. The other Guriel, right?
0: Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Les Yep, and uh, Teoscar Hernandez has pop, and their their catcher uh, Jansen, Scott Pop. I mean, they've got a good got a good young team. And they got some young arms too. Remember, they got uh, it was Anthony Kay from uh, from the Mets at the Stroman deal, who mm-hmm. who came up last year and pitched pretty well. The other team I'm thinking is the Reds because we talked about how great pitching staffs made have an opportunity too. to take advantage here. Was that said so they made a ton of moves too? They did, and you got a front, you got a starting staff of Castillo, Bauer, and Sonny Gray. I mean, that's going to give you you're going to have a chance to win almost every game.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and, and their offense is pretty beefed up. They went and got Mustakis as well as Castellanos. I like that team a lot, too. And they already have Suarez, who's one of the best third basemen there.
0: They've got a really good team. I'm fascinated to see what goes on here. Um, are you looking forward to it now that we – I mean, listen, obviously everything's an asterisk, and a lot can change from now to the 23rd of July, but as long as we are good to go – are you, as, are you back on baseball? Or have you ditched your NYCFC, or are you, are you kind of still pissed off at the players and owners?
1: No, I'm back. I, I believe I said if the season wasn't played this year, I'd be an NYCFC fan. Um, I apologize for the noise. There's a person being a complete asshole outside of my house, and I hope their engine blows up. Um, <laughs> but with that being said, yeah, I hope they wrap their car around a tray. Um, wow. With that being said, um, yeah, I, I'm back in on baseball. I, I said already, as long as they get the season figured out this year, I'm good.
0: I can't wait, man. NYCFC uh, is
1: still on the back burner for 2022 when they strike, though.
0: There you go. Well, you got to keep them in your back pocket. you got a scarf, too. I hung
1: the scarf, scarf up, up in the back of the closet. It's still there. I haven't thrown it out.
0: There you go. Listen, man, you never know when you're going to need it. Um yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm amped up, too. Uh, I just can't wait. Uh, it feels like it's forever from now, but it's really not that far from now. So hey, it'll,
1: it's right what, around the corner, man.
0: It's right around the corner, bro. Uh, let's transition into some NBA talk. So, the By the way, we released. should do,
1: once we really get a feel for exactly how this is going to be played, all the divisions, everything, we should do our usual um, special that we do where it's a two-part pod and whatnot. I don't know how we're going to split that up. Uh, this time being that the divisions are all wonky, but we'll figure it out.
0: Well, they're not too wonky because literally you're only playing forty. You're playing forty games against your division, and then you're playing twenty against the opposite league's same division. So does another yeah, team make should...
1: the playoffs or something like that?
0: Uh, there's expanded playoffs. Yeah. We'll have to look into that that.
1: so we can pick our guys for the expanded playoffs. The Mets will be in there for me. I can already tell you that right now. Um, But we'll get around to that maybe within the next couple weeks when it gets closer to uh, first pitch.
0: Yep, that sounds good. And we've got a guest, too, who, uh, who knows MLB prospects and can shed some light into even the draft that happened last month. I know the MLB draft is not a whole lot of, you know, it's not anything like the NBA or NFL, but still kind of important and some of the prospects that are going to come up and impact this 60 game sprint. So uh, we'll bring him on, you know, as we get closer as well. But let's go into some NBA, man. So the schedule got released for the uh, resumption of the season. Um, And it seems like all systems are go. A couple players said they're not going for Mm -hmm. fair reasons. Avery Bradley being one of them. I think, what was it? His son has a respiratory issue. So he doesn't want to risk him there. How do you feel about the NBA and NBA PA getting together with all the safety protocols? Do you think that this bubble, I know we've been talking about it for a while because it seems like it's going to happen, but now that we're ready for it in a month, do you see this thing actually working out as Orlando and Orlando still being the hub? Um,
1: I think Orlando is really the only place you can do it given all the basketball facilities and just the general infrastructure of Disney in itself. Um, it's like a city alone to itself. Um, I mean, I want to put a big asterisk next to all these things because the numbers in Florida right now are through the roof. And keep in mind that we live in the, the metropolitan New York area. You are not even allowed to travel to Florida and back or some of those down south states right now because the numbers have gone up so much without quarantining post-travel for two weeks. So, I mean, this they, I don't want to get my hopes up too much because... This thing, you just never fucking know. Who would have thought that we'd be talking about this back in January um, for any for any of this? Um, but you, you just never know. And, and I don't want to get my hopes up too much, so I'm throwing an asterisk next to it. But this is the news that we have at hand, so let's talk about it. I'm concerned about the bubble, my friend, to be honest with you. I am too. Um, I, I just think there's too many variables and possibly too many people going down there. I mean, me and you are going to talk PGA in a little bit because I love golf and it's back and I've been watching intently. But, I mean, that's a much smaller group of players. I believe in each tournament you probably have 350 people going, players, caddies, and then I don't even know if they're allowed to have family or whatnot. And there's already been... Let me see, I have it pulled up here for you. There's already been... Five players to withdraw from the Travelers, which is going on as we speak. The players should tee off for the final round today, a little bit later, to withdraw. Brooks Koepka withdrew because his caddy got COVID, as well as Graham McDowell. Their cat, his caddy, got COVID. Um, let me see who else. Two more players that are not as notable: Dennis McCarthy and Bud Cauley. Uh, they both withdrew mid-round because they felt symptoms, so that's scary because they were clearly within the bubble. Um, and then Cam Champ, who, who's another big player, withdrew because supposedly he tested positive for COVID, but he wasn't responsible with being outside of the bubble and all that, yada, yada, yada. So, I mean, it's on an individual level are these players going to be responsible? And times the NBA amount of people there by five for golf, right?
0: Oh, yeah, easily, if so, not by more.
1: Now, the PGA came out, the commissioner came out, I believe, last Wednesday or something like that, and made an announcement they're going to plow forward. They amended the rules and added new rules to the parameters of the COVID bubble and all the the rules that have to go along with it. But again, this is scary stuff. The, this is five players in the first you know, three tournaments that have been played, and the first two were not nearly as big. This is by far the biggest one with some of the biggest names.
0: Well, let's bring it back to basketball with that, man, because uh, the report came out on Friday that 16 of the 304 players that are heading down to the bubble got test, tested positive for COVID. Yeah. So and the thing uh, this is, is already like, going to happen. I just don't know how you monitor these guys. I mean, exactly. these are adults.
1: Because you're looking at golf on a much smaller scale, and you got guys like Cam Champ, who's a great golfer in his own right, not not respecting this this sickness and this virus. And then he shows up, gets tested, gets banged with a positive. But he they were saying he was walking around like like nothing was wrong before that. Who knows who he came into contact with? That ruins a much smaller bubble. There, could you imagine with the NBA? I mean, because. No matter what, you're not going to be able to keep it a complete bubble. Even if you can manage the players and the coaching staff, the people that work down there, you're not going to be able to manage them. I mean, what happens if one of these guys goes rogue and orders a pizza? You know, it's as simple as that.
0: Well, I think that's going to be the biggest issue, and the one difference between, well, one of the many differences, but a a huge deal here between golf and in the NBA is, you know, you're you're dealing with teams here, right? So, if you're if you're the Lakers, okay, and you're uh, Danny Green, let's just say that, or 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 maybe Dwight Howard, whatever. Huh. And you fuck Danny up. Danny Green's too good of a guy, huh? And uh, yeah, uh, they're all. I mean, I'm just picking. Contavious Caldwell Pope. How's that? He. Uh, no, dwight is about spot on. You're gonna have the wrath of LeBron, who's trying to win a championship. And all of these guys are going back, hoping to win a championship. So if you're going to be the guy who's selfish enough on a team to possibly ruin your team's chances, not only that, but also possibly blow up this whole arrangement that the that the league's trying to get through, and you're going to take the whole sport down? I mean, dude, honestly, I, I think as strong as this sounds right off the bat, but here, stay with me here, I think that you can pro- possibly ban that player for for the rest of their career.
1: I agree with you, and as crazy it is as it is to say, I think there will be some players that will be dumb enough and irresponsible enough to take that risk.
0: I think so too, but that's but if you have something like that, even in baseball, because baseball there is no bubble; they're going to be bouncing back and forth between cities. And I know you're staying in the same geographic location, but if you just take the ALEs and NLE's you're going from Toronto, Canada, down to Miami and St. Petersburg. So, I mean, you're really not staying in as close a proximity as you think. Mm-hmm. So, in the NBA or in the MLB or in golf or in the NHL, if you're going to be the guy that's going to take this sport down, you should be banned. It should be you should not have a chance to play again because. You're, you're ruining you, – this is a health concern. You know, you're know you going to maybe get somebody seriously sick, not just to mention that you're costing the league that you play for billions of dollars potentially.
1: I agree with you, man. I, I'm just worried because not only the cases are rising and society in general may shut this down due to being irresponsible, but – I think there's going to be one or two guys that are just those black sheep that just do what they want. And I think they should be banned, but it's going to ruin it for the rest of us because that may shut down a season. I mean, you saw it at the beginning. The thing that kind of jumped off this whole pandemic right at the beginning, it was just inevitable, was Gobert getting it. And then Mitchell. And then well, and, Go-
0: and Gobert making such an ass of
1: himself with that mm-hmm. too. And listen, I I don't want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but at the same time, we didn't understand the severity of this sickness at the time. But now if you do it, I, I really don't think there's any excuse. You're just an asshole and you really should be banned. But I really don't know how this bubble is going to work because there's just so many variables of things that can go wrong.
0: There are. And that, you know, you, you put the human element into it, anything can happen. I do want to get your take on this because i've been kind of contemplating this over the last couple of days all of these leagues have restarted or are restarting under the premise and knowledge that players will test positive for this virus it's inevitable it's it's happened already and it's going to continue to happen so they have made the conscious effort all these leagues and associations have made the conscious effort to say we're going to just plow forward And it's going to be, you know, we're going to take our lumps with positive tests and be fine. I would like the premium, and I guess you could put this on a larger picture, too, is all of society, just peeling back the layer of sports. I want to see more studies on people who get it and are actually sick from it. Mm. that makes sense? Because with more testing, unless you're the president of the United States who wants less testing so the numbers go down, with the more testing... Genius. More people... Are, yeah, genius, obviously. Um, more testing, you're going to get more positive tests, right? I mean, we know that. But, especially in, with athletes, they're not contracting it and going into hospitals, right? Or having to need ventilators. Or it seems that they're either asymptomatic or they feel almost nothing at all. So what I think what should be a premium... When we report, when we see the reports of, of this amount of players test positive for COVID, who's getting it and really feeling the effects? Because that's that's more newsworthy to me, in essence, to try to figure out how we can trudge trudge through with this whole, you know, plan.
1: Well, for me to to piggyback off that, I don't think necessarily who's getting it. And who's getting really sick, because for me, it's not. it doesn't have to do with the individual getting it. It has to do with the individual carrying it and giving it Correct. to other people. I'm more interested to see who's getting it, testing positive, holding on to the antibodies, and then gets gets a negative test. What is the likelihood of you to get it a second time? And not only mm-hmm. that, but what is the severity of it? Because obviously this virus is transforming and whatnot and antibodies are, are being proven daily that just because you have them doesn't mean you can't get it again. I'd like to see not just from you know, professional athletes, but from people in general. What are the chances that you're going to get it twice? What's the severity of the second time? And how are we going to be able to deal with this to the point where we we can uh, do the best job we can of eliminating it?
0: Right. And and I I totally agree with you on that. And it's kind of that question of herd immunity against quarantine, right? Mm -hmm. Because you, especially the NHL and NBA, who have a bubble system, you're not going to have family members coming in and out of there, right? So I think in the NBA, it's not until, like, Mid August that they can come down and once ride, the regular season is finalized, yeah. So the the potential to carry it to people with underlying health risks that aren't athletes uh, is very minimal because they're going to be closed in the bubble. Yeah. But in something like ba- in a sport like baseball or in golf, where you're not in a bubble and you can go see your family and you you're not having these crazy restrictions placed on you who's getting it and passing it to somebody, and then you hear that their mother or something is is sick and not doing great, you know, but let's hope it never comes to that. But I think that's going to be an interesting thing because right now all of these players that we've heard about that have tested positive have felt either no symptoms at all or they've had very minimal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. It's usually – light flu-like symptoms and just feeling tired and weak for a few days and then they're back to normal but again if you give that to somebody in in regular society that could possibly be a death sentence
0: and of course i'm obviously excluding the the athletes who have you know asthma or other underlying health risks because those are but those are athletes that i think of either you know you get players who say, I'm not I'm not even gonna participate in this and that's totally fine. And that's actually beneficial because you don't want you don't want to force those guys to feel like they have to play and really put themselves at risk. But ready, able bodies who are in peak athletic and physical shape, it's it's hard to see them test positive and be like, oh shit, they have it now. Remember like when Kevin Durant tested positive, it was like, oh shit, four nets have it. Good God. Now it's like you see eight Phillies have it. And you're like, oh, okay, no, no big deal. Who cares? Because there's just more testing now. But until something really bad happens, which, God forbid, hopefully it doesn't, Yeah, this is, this is just going to be par for the course.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious to see if, guys, is Jeff Green, who's on the Rockets, going? Because I know he had a massive heart issue.
0: I don't know about Jeff Green.
1: I'm looking that up right now. It doesn't say anything about the fact that he's not uh that he's not going. It says he's on the Rockets, but he may be. Yeah, I think he's on the Rockets right now.
0: Yeah, I, well, I think they have until July first to notify their teams to mm. rep- whether they're going to report or not. It, it's a it's a really complicated situation, right? Because you don't want to diminish that somebody tests positive for this thing. But you also have to, I think, put into the lens of, okay, who's getting it? What kind of shape are they in? And how are they responding from being positive, COVID positive?
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And I think, you know, the plow forward thing works until half of the, I just said, half of the Houston Rockets get it. And then I think it's like, okay, shut this whole thing down. And then the world shuts down again.
0: That's going to be very, especially in the NBA, because it's a star-driven league. And can you imagine with like the finals? Let's say it's Lakers-Bucks, and both LeBron and Giannis have it, and you're having a Lakers-Bucks finals without those two guys. Like, I, that's unfathomable to me.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Um, but I, this is something that we're going to have to wait and see because. It's the unknown, man, and we keep asking these questions, but we're not going to get the answers until we see it. Um, no. Because I think if you were to ask an NBA exec with, you know, truth serum, they would just say, we don't fucking
0: know. You're asking scientists, and a lot of them still don't know. Because this is not like anything we've seen before.
1: Absolutely, man, absolutely. And the last thing I will say, because people have been talking about it a lot, I don't I don't think that I'm going to put personally an asterisk next to any championship of any sport because in my I opinion I love that you said that. It's, a, it's an even playing field. It's it's not like the Lakers are playing, you know, 82 games normal season and then the Bucks have this crazy weird thing. Everybody's in it together, right?
0: Everyone's in it together and you can make a very compelling case that whoever wins in any sport would have earned it more than any previous champion. Yeah, just because of the unprecedented circumstances.
1: Absolutely. So I don't want to hear it with this asterisk thing. Like, I mean, the Astros, yeah, they probably deserve an asterisk because they cheated and they had an advantage, right? Or, or some of these other teams that have cheated in the past. But this isn't completely even playing field as far as we know. So, uh, asterisk is bullshit. It's a championship.
0: Let me let me ask you a question. The nineteen eighty one Dodgers are considered world champions, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, there were two seasons during a strike. So that was completely wonky, and we don't have an asterisk next to that. The Washington Redskins won the Super Bowl in 91. That season started with replacement players, and I think they only played 12 games or something like that. They're considered the Super Bowl champs. This is fine. Spurs are
1: champs. Heat are champs. Yeah. From those, yes, that's right. years from As the, well, from so. the twenty,
0: yes, exactly. A yeah, champion I, is
1: a champion. In my book, yeah. As long as it's an even playing field, I don't. It doesn't matter to me who goes down from COVID. Obviously, I, I feel for them, and I, it matters to me in that way. But the fact that they're not playing doesn't matter to me. If you win, you're a champion.
0: If You win, you're a champion. Everyone's dealing with this is nonsense. This is just the craziest time to be a professional athlete probably and figure out where your priorities lie. But I give these, all these leagues, even baseball for as shitty as they handled the whole thing. I give these leagues a ton of credit for recognizing that, Hey, if we're going to restart, we're going to do it knowing that there's going to be positive tests and we're going to try to make this as legitimate as we possibly can. And unless something terribly goes wrong, they're going to go for it. And you know the NFL is going to be looking at the, all of these leagues as a template to see how they're going to handle their travel, their logistics, their roster configuration, everything going forward in September.
1: For sure, man, for sure. All right, we'll talk a little more NBA now. Tom, it was a big week for your Knicks. Yes, the, the hiring of the GM World Wide West. I don't really know how to feel about this, Sean. Because well, he's not
0: your GM. He's 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 not your GM. He's gonna be working. He's gonna be working with your GM, but he's gonna be handling certain basketball ops. But Leon, yeah, he's gonna be working with Leon Rose. Yeah,
1: he's gonna be the pseudo GM. Um, I don't really know how to feel because. Can you tell me what Worldwide West does?
0: Well, he's he's about as connected to the nba as you can be without being a player oh couldn't
1: couldn't agree with you more i mean you got names like lebron james michael jordan allen iverson rip hamilton going down the list that he's associated with but you know you look him up and trust me i spent a lot of time looking him up and there's really no definitive thing of what he does i know he worked in sneakers for a while and whatnot but he's not an agent he he's not um, a former coach. He's not a former this. He never played college basketball. I, it's just like I'm interested to see just because he's such a prominent name and I am excited about the hiring and I think it's very forward-thinking of the Knicks. So I'm not bashing
0: it. It's just I, I don't know what the fuck he does.
1: I don't well, think anybody what he does. does.
0: He brings you a brand. Yeah. He is himself a brand. You know, It was kind of like when Jay-Z was part of the Nets. It was just like... That whole persona of, okay, I, I, I have some kind of recognition globally and I have a relationship with a shit ton of players and I can help make the brand of the New York Knicks actually appealing. So the more, the more compliment, complimentary, the, 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 top-tier level of brand ambassador, I guess. These players in the league know who Worldwide West is, and you have LeBron, and you have guys like that talking about how great he is and how much they love him and how, how much respect they have for him. There's your brand. That's what he does. Absolutely. Because you, you don't have anything like that.
1: Yeah, and listen, it, it, they're just, at this point I'm happy with what they're doing. They're throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks, and I, ho- and I hope it works out. I'm happy that they're going in a different direction and they're not hiring you know, the former player that had a good relationship with Dolan but just is in for a money grab or anything like that. I like that they're thinking outside the box, and I'm looking forward to see what it brings.
0: What we've seen with the Knicks is there's been an incredible disconnect between the play, the people that they've had in their front office and the current NBA player, superstar, star, right? Now that bridge has been has been has been gapped we're set now like you have finally that person in the room when you're talking to free agents that appeals to the players and yep. gets the players and has that like-minded attitude that's what you have not had for years and you finally have it now as respected as donny walsh was and phil jackson was and larry brown was and isaiah thomas was as a player Those guys were archaic and ancient and couldn't relate to today's play. Now you have World Y. West in there, who can and will. And that's a step in the right direction for sure.
1: Absolutely, man. I'm happy about the hire. I don't care what he does as long as he can at least get us meetings with these guys. Jason Kidd had
0: an interview with your Knicks. How would you feel about that?
1: I don't know. Two not-so-great head coaching stints.
0: I don't know how he would be with a young team.
1: Uh, yeah, I think he if he's going to be successful, he needs to work with a playoff-ready team and he can bring them to the next level. Um, he kind of tried to do that with your Nets, but Darren Williams is falling apart and Paul Pierce and KG weren't what they were. So I don't really fault him for that, but I do fault him for the Bucks job. Um, yep. I I don't want that higher. I would much rather uh, a development guy, a bridge the gap kind of guy. I'm much more interested in, um, I don't know, maybe in a Kenny Atkinson. I a still Tibbeton. think
0: Atkinson. I still think Atkinson's the best. The best possible candidate for you guys, I really do. Yeah, just seeing what I just he hope did with that, the Nets. I just hope that's that, what that him and the for
1: you. I just hope that him and the GM get on the same page because with the Nets, he was he was given I don't want to say free reign, but given the ability to develop young players without the expectation of a, a fairy tale playoff bullshit run that was never going to happen. And look what he did. He brought the, that team to a fairy tale playoff run last year by developing the guys over, what, the three years before that? hmm And if he comes in with these high-lofted playoff expectations in the first season, they're not going to be able to let him do what he does best, which is develop young talent and build a roster for, I guess you would say, the next guy to come in and take him to the next level.
0: That's a really good point because the Nets clearly had the, the common goal, right, between Marks, Atkinson ownership, and also how they were going to construct their roster and the kind of players they were going to bring in and the kind of players they were going to draft. That's what kind of really helped mold that roster into what it was last year and then obviously being in the position to get Durant and Kyrie. this The Knicks have to identify with Leon Rose, now Worldwide West, and, and uh, Perry, Scott Perry, or uh, everybody else in the building has to identify what are we doing with this roster what do we want to accomplish who do we want to draft who are we building around who are trade pieces that we can either move or acquire and that's who based off that decision that's who your coach is going to be
1: absolutely and i just think that even to this year when when they fired um what's his face um
0: when oh, they fired face? uh Fizdale?
1: Fizdale. it's like there was playoff expectations in there like Let's get the ridiculousness out of our brains, please. And well, let's, develop, I mean, let's develop a long-term winner and try and develop some of these guys either into trade pieces or franchise
0: cornerstones. But see, right there is a mistake that can't happen again. They brought in Fizdale because Fizdale was supposed to help get free agents in the door because he was a well-respected coach assistant with the Heat. But that's all he was he was he wasn't a coach that was going to attract top free agents. He Absolutely. was just somebody that players felt good about. And that's you yes, he can't develop players. You don't that's do no that good either because your team's a developmental team.
1: Yeah, and, and also you don't do that because you hire you want to know what attracts players when it comes to a coaching standpoint? A coach that wins, right? And and you have these guys that attract players by hiring a worldwide West who he's not going to be drawing up the X's and O's and making decisions at the end of games. He's going to do that in the off season. And the coach is going to be able to do what he needs to do. I don't need this sexy coach. I want the sexy front office guy with a bullshit title.
0: And you've been screaming about that forever. And that's
1: not an unreasonable request. And hopefully it looks like right now they might be going in the right direction. I we'll think see every, who they hire as a head coach, but it looks like they're, they're moving that way.
0: I trust your front office now more than I've trusted your front office since I can remember. Probably since you the late have, 90s. Yeah, you have the pieces there who have success. They're plugged into the league. They're plugged into top you know, notable players in the league, the landscape of the league, the attitude of the league. That was not present before. And they've got acumen and accomplishments to boot. So there you go. You've got to feel good about that. Obviously, we'll see what ends up happening. But hopefully that's enough to keep Dolan the fuck out of the way.
1: Absolutely, man. I, I really I hope so, too. I'm, I'm happy with the direction they're going in, I must say.
0: I am, too. I, I, I think that it's a step in the right direction. Again, you're not going to... You're not going to regain credibility overnight, but with smart sound moves, shit, man, I, I know I say this as a homer, but it's true. If the fucking Nets could get themselves out of that situation they were in just four years ago, which was is arguably about as bad as you could ever have it. Yeah, absolutely. I think the Knicks are in a good spot.
1: I definitely agree with you, man. Anything else going on in your, in your, uh, in your neck of the woods in Sean's world?
0: Not much else, man. Uh, yeah, up in the Cape, just, just enjoying it, uh, trying to think. I have gone out to eat a few other times Same. since we last talked. Any more lovely uh, water waterside dinners out?
1: No, I, uh, I went out in um, Stanford once, and then we went to another restaurant this past. The last two Fridays, me and, the, and my lady, I guess you'll call her, went out to uh, dinner, which was nice. <laughs> Um, but aside from that, you know, I played a little golf, some social distancing golf and, and went to a family party that was very well social distance. But aside from that, it's, you know, work and work and school. That's it.
0: I dig it, man. I'm happy to have golf
1: back, have actual live sports to watch. Um, Yeah. Let's
0: talk PGA a little bit. You've been chomping at the bit. Talk to me about the, the travelers and, and how it's been. The, with the tournaments that have been played so far.
1: Yeah, I mean, do, do you want to talk about what everybody's been talking about, which is uh, Bryson DeChambeau just putting on 40 pounds of muscle in quarantine and hitting the ball, basically trying to drive every single green, including par fives, and trying to change the game of golf, which is insane.
0: Let's fucking do it. Break it down for us.
1: Yeah, so DeChambeau right now, I think he's averaging almost, I want to say like a 380 yard drive right now, and, and he's just... It's literally driver off the tee, and then he's using a lob wedge to get it to the green, and then he's putting. So he's just basically—it looks like he's trying to eliminate the the lower irons out of his game completely, which is really interesting. Um, the one thing that has really held him back because he's played two, three tournaments, excuse me since covid um the one thing that's really held him back from shooting an incredibly high score in those tournaments and just running away with them is his putter i mean he's finished top five in the last two so you know he's right there he's number one in greens and reg he's number one in percentage of hit greens and all that stuff but then once you put the putter in in his hand um i just he doesn't seem to have the feel for it right now and you know what they say drive for show putt for dough baby
0: there you go brother i gotta ask you Dishyam like the mad scientist on the tour, right? Like yeah. he was putting for a while using like the coefficient of restitution yes. as a as, he, uh, as a method of trying to figure out all his all his uh, analytics and everything.
1: Yeah, he um, he's a different guy out there, um, and I think this is just another one of his experiments, and this one seems to be working out because, like I said, it has nothing to do with him hitting the long ball. And his wedge game, because he's really not hitting too many irons unless he's on a par three, it's really just his putter that's hurt him, and that's just repetition for him. I mean, if he gets in there and, and starts really working at that putter again, because clearly he was just working out during quarantine, I think he may run away and win the FedEx Cup this year and win the whole thing.
0: The modern golfer reminds me a lot of the modern baseball player. Like, they are, like, so much into, like, the engineering and the analytics and getting certain launch angles and just putting in this whole new method of perfecting their game or working on their game or experimenting their game. It's pretty cool. Yeah,
1: you still have some fun guys out there, some shot shapers like a Justin Thomas or obviously a Phil Nicholson where they're just going to hit these draws and these fades and, and whatnot because they know that they can't hit it as long as the Rory's and the Brookses, and the Dustin Johnson's and obviously the Bryson's. But I, so you still have those fun guys where you're going to see an incredible shot out of, out of nowhere. But yeah, you're right. They, they're looking at the spin rate of the ball, and, and they're looking at the loft that they have. I mean, Bryson DeChambeau, the average driver for a guy like me or you to go out and golf is... I believe it's probably a ten and a half or eleven loft. The average PGA golfer I think uses around an eight. He's using a five degree loft, which is basically Good Lord. like stepping up to the tee with a putter. And he's still That's so crazy. And he's still hitting it 130 feet in the air at a hundred and and averaging carry three hundred and thirty to three hundred and forty yards. That thing's rolling to close to four hundred. So he's figured something out. Now, it seems so simple, right? Like, it's just like, yeah, I'm just going to hit it as close to the hole as I can off the tee. I don't care if I hit it in the rough or if I hit it in the middle of the fairway. I'm going to be 90 yards closer than the next guy, and that's, you know, just going to give me that, that much more comfortable of a shot to where I can make a three on a par four instead of possibly hitting a four. But, I mean, it's still so hard to go away from the norm.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've seen this at various points on tour. I mean, you know, Tiger went blasting the ball off the tee. We originally saw it with career. John Daly,
1: too. I mean, he was the first guy to average 300-plus yards for average driving distance. And then, obviously, Tiger bulked up, got a lot stronger. And there have been some long hitters. But the thing with Bryson is he's kind of like Tiger where he can do pretty much anything.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of the interesting component here is you're not – you're not really working on your the versatility of your game. You're looking at the efficiency of your game. Yeah, you're breaking to it the down to, as quick to, a,
1: to a micro level, really.
0: It's pretty fascinating, dude. So uh, where are we standing at the leaderboard here on Sunday uh, as we wind down this Travelers Tournament at TPC?
1: Uh, I know Justin Johnson is in second right now. Um, let me see where we're at. Yeah. Um, where is the leaderboard here? I'm trying to pull it up.
0: No worries. I kind of threw that one at you, but That's I, right. know. I
1: had it pulled up earlier. Yeah, uh, look, Brendan Todd is leading. Um, now keep in mind, this is not a big event, but it's still 7.4 million dollars for the for the guy that gets the W. Brandon Todd, good player, more of a shot shaper, not a long guy. But then you got Dustin Johnson right behind him who obviously hits bombs. He's minus 16. The leader is minus 18. And then and then chambo is sitting there tied for fifth. So if he has a big round and that putter can get hot today, he can absolutely win it if there's some slip-ups. But I'm looking at Dustin Johnson to take this one. I think he's going to – because, you know, he – First of all, he he miss. I believe he missed the cut in the first two tournaments back from COVID. Not to mention, I don't. I, you told me you didn't watch much of his uh, the made uh, drive for charity or whatever it was called with Rory, Ricky, him, and Matt Wolf. He no. I don't want to say made a fool of himself, but he definitely looked rusty. So the last three, there was even an interview with him. Um, right before the travelers teed off on Thursday. And he was saying he was embarrassed of where his game is right now. And he's going to come back with a vengeance and he's done so thus far. I think maybe today he just tries to go after number one spot Todd and really starts driving the long ball. Well,
0: it'll be interesting to see how, how it shapes up, man. I mean, it's just so fucking great to talk standings and leaderboards and sports. Like, I nerded out so hard yesterday when I saw the Yankees and Nationals are going to play the first game of the new season. I'm like, fuck yes, Cole Scherzer, let's go. I like, absolutely. Just escape everything else and just talk X's and O's and like what we were doing before, chopping it up about teams that have advantages here and talking about players again. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we have to do our due diligence, but it's just so much fucking fun to do that again. One player I need to talk to you about, bro. I'm so sorry. I'm not doing this because I'm a bad guy. What the fuck is going on with Jamal Adams and your Jets?
1: Oh. I mean, I just think, you know, by all accounts, Jamal Adams is a great locker room guy and a great player, but I just think he's he's going with the flow. He's unhappy with the situation. Terrible timing and a bad optic for him to be doing this, to be begging for money and begging for a new contract. But I really like the way the Jets are handling this.
0: Yeah, Joe Douglas doesn't seem like he sweats the small stuff. And he no. knows he doesn't have to pay him.
1: No, I mean he's got a what? Two years left on his deal. Two more years after this. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Things could change. The Jets could have a really good year this year, and he could want to stay, and they offer an extension, and he accepts it. Or you know what? The Jets have a down year, and then they trade him next year. You know what I, I really hate how about... they're handling it. Go ahead.
0: I do. I do too. You know what I really like hate about the whole thing was how he tried to like. He got his boy Manish Mehta, obviously, who's just—he is a questionable reporter at best uh, for the New York Daily News, with Jets news, quote unquote news—and he says that Manish Mehta know, is, Adam, is the most loose,
1: the most loose definition of a reporter I've ever heard. Bro, he's it's a personality rough. more than that. He wants to have his own talk show so
0: bad. He does, and. It's hard. I mean, he would fit right in with the 24-hour news cycle, right? All the talking heads, because mm-hmm. he, it, it, the stuff he he materializes is pretty wild. But I didn't like how they were talk, how it came out that Adams is. Like, I don't, I don't trust Adam Gase. Listen, say what you want about Adam Gase, and yes, he has had problems in the past with his star players. But you know what? The team went 7-1 and one down the stretch last year. That was a lost season and a lost team. You can't tell me that those guys didn't play for him.
1: What's he talking about? He and doesn't I trust you. Adam Gase. I mean, Jesus Christ, the team had a massive improvement last year. Darnold following Mono really put it together. The defense was playing well. And not to mention, Adam Gase is an offensive mind. He's not Adam even Gase a defensive even, guy. Like, I guarantee you he doesn't even talk to Jamal Adams. No, I agree with you. I think that's more of a Greg Williams thing,
0: right? I would think so, because Greg Williams also kind of has that head coaching personality. He's going to head coach of that defense. I didn't understand it. I thought it looked real weak. I was listening to a couple shows this past week, and the Michael K. show, Don, Don McGregor on there, he made a fascinating point, and it was one that I've kind of thought about in the past, but he really brought it to light. And he was like, you know, if I'm a team that's not very good, obviously, if you're drafting in the top 10 or 15, right? Why in God's name would you draft a safety? Because if you draft a safety and he turns out to be what you think he's going to be, you're going to have to pay him in a couple years, or you're going to have to trade him because he's so good. But a safety doesn't make the impact on the game. So it was like when the Giants had Landon Collins. You're going to have to let Landon Collins go. And it's not yeah. because he's not a great player, but safeties just don't matter that much. Not Ronnie Watt is team. only celebrated because he played on those great 49ers teams. But if it was just him, it, it wouldn't have, he wouldn't have been celebrated the same way. Jamal Adams is a top 10 player in the league. I think that's safe to say. But why in God's name are you drafting? There's only four positions you should be drafting if you're drafting him top 10 to 15. That's quarterback if you need one. That's pass rusher, that's corner if you need one, and that's uh, an offensive lineman, Hope you know, you prioritize a tackle. Those are the only directions you should be going in, because you're really wasting the pick. Because if he turns out to be as good as you think he is, then you're not going to have him for long, and you're going to have so contract limbo. disputes. And he, exactly, and if he doesn't turn out to be that great, then you wasted wasting a fucking pick. So, Either way, you're wasting the pick, in my opinion. I, I just thought that was a great observation. And definitely, I, teams better stop drafting the best player. I know we say draft the best player available, but in football, there's four positions you should be drafting if you're not a great team, because those are building block players. You will pay a corner. I mean, look what the Jets had when you had Revis and DeBrickshaw Ferguson, two of the most important positions on the field, and you had those guys locked up.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think... You know, you look at it, you draft the best player available when you're coming off a Super Bowl, right? Or you're coming off a championship game. You don't do that when you're trying to rebuild because that's just going to set you back. Now you have this big mess with Jamal Adams putting a stain on what seems to be a pretty decent off season. And now I love how they've handled it. They haven't said much, but I don't think they're going to trade him.
0: I just don't see a reason why you would. And you know what? If he wants to hold out, let him because he's not getting paid a whole lot of money. I think he's only getting paid like three point seven million or something this coming year. And
1: that's fine. I mean, again, he's a safety. He's not going to unless you're unless you're one player away and he's that great of a player from from being a championship caliber team. He's not going to make that much. He makes a huge impact on the game, but not the way that the Jets need an impact to be made right now.
0: No, he's not protecting Darnold. You know, he's not shutting down the other team's top receiver. He he's he's not Darnold and he's not, you know, going after and killing the quarterback. So it's a tough it's a tough spot to be in. I don't think they'll trade him either, but if I hear if he just becomes so much of a malcontent that you just can't possibly deal with him, then you you get the best trade package you can for him and move on because draft capital for you guys is gonna still be very important.
1: Absolutely. I want two first rounders. <laughs>
0: Shit, man, with Jerry Jones now, that could that might get done.
1: Absolutely. I hope the Cowboys do that and they still miss out on a Super Bowl and then we got two of their picks.
0: The last thing I want to talk about with you, and I know we don't do this really ever, but I just want to talk about the whole Bubba Wallace situation real fast in NASCAR. I want to give NASCAR a sorry-to-interrupt endorsement right here. They have done an unbelievable job growing their sport and supporting this kid and losing prominent parts of their fan base to make sure they get more because they don't want those people to be a reflection of their fan base anymore. And I think that's damn cool from a sport. I don't even consider it a sport, but it is a sport uh, uh, that seemed to be only regionalized for a certain demographic. Kudos to them and kudos to Bubba Wallace. He's handled this thing so gracefully, uh, be, be having to be a spokesperson for Black Lives Matter and progressive growth in that sport and in this country. So I just wanted to shout that out. I'm sure you, you feel the same way.
1: Agree with you completely. Shame on the F- FBI for not just coming out and saying that it was a noose in his garbage can and that it was there for however long. Fuck that. Come on, we know what it is. Um, but aside from that, yeah, big shout-out to NASCAR. I'm not you know, a big NASCAR watcher. Um, I drive a a Toyota so I, I could really care less but you know what they're trying to grow their game shout out to them they're doing the right thing and fuck that guy that wanted to rock the Confederate flag on his car and quit because of that I hope he never makes a dollar the rest of his life
0: I don't think he will
1: yep absolutely and he's got zero wins so he's got just as many NASCAR wins as I do
0: That's right. And he was racing in like a a semi pro one. He wasn't even racing on the main circuit.
1: Yeah, well, if he pulls up to me at a red light, my fucking. I'm going to kick his ass. I bro. And then I'm going to smoke him in my Toyota.
0: (laughs) Dude, the cameras can go. Yes, sir. But yeah, I wanted to throw that out there. I think we covered it all, man. Anything else you want to talk about?
1: No, that's it, man. I mean, nothing's really going on for me. Just bouncing back and forth. Between a few shows. Started watching Did you Homeland. watch that Floor is Lava show? No, but I saw it for the first time last night.
0: I have not watched it yet, but apparently it's like the next big thing. So I think I'm going to have to spend a little bit of time. Is We're running out of time, show? bro. I think so. Ugh. I mean, I don't know the whole premise, but basically it's like with that game you play when you're a kid. Like, the floor is lava, and so you're like jumping over trying to avoid it.
1: That's cool. The only real game show I watch is the uh, Extreme Mini Golf with Steph Curry because I like Steph Curry and Rob Riggle.
0: I've never seen that. Is it good?
1: Yeah, it's good. It's a lot of fun.
0: All right. Listen, I'm up for it, but we've only got about a month left of really trying to find shows because I think it's safe to say we will be watching sports from morning to midnight every day in August. Can't wait. Doing your best, uh, Bart Scott imitation right there. Absolutely. All right, bro. Good talking to you, everybody. Stay safe. Continue to please not make this country worse with <laughs> perfectly put the COVID cases. Or anything <laughs> else. How about that? Or anything else.
1: Absolutely. Voting in November, man. Yes, sir. Primaries either pass or are coming up. I'm an independent so I don't get to vote in those. But people who are not vote.
0: Do it. All right, everyone. Take care, guys.
1: All right, guys. Peace out.